Luke chapter 1, verses 67 through 69, as we continue our sermon series called Christmas Carols. This is Zechariah's song of prophecies. We read together starting in verse 67. We'll read all the way to verse 79. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and gave this prophecy. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty Savior from the royal line of his servant David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. Now we will be saved from our enemies and from all who hate us. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. We have been rescued from our enemies so we can serve God without fear and holiness and righteousness for as long as we live. And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord and you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins because of God's tender mercy The morning light from heaven is about to break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide us to the path of peace. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you always remember your promises. Thank you, Lord, for making those promises. Father, it is our sincere prayer today that if there be one or many that is yet to receive the good news that you save that you have provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and, Lord, to make heaven because of your grace. Lord, I pray that it would all click today, that it would all make sense in the heart and mind of everyone who hears. Lord, if we need salvation, God, that you would see to it, Father, that there would be a response. And, Lord, if we have salvation, that there would be a response of praise and service. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Zechariah's song, his prophetic praise in Luke chapter 1 is just considered another song in the birth narrative of Christ. And what's exceptional to start with leading up to these lyrics of praise that we've just read for some 12 odd verses, 12 to 13 verses, is Zechariah was not able to speak for a time. He was silent for months leading up to this song of praise. You see, when Gabriel announced to he and Elizabeth that they too would bear a child. Gabriel had announced not only to Mary, but to Zechariah and Elizabeth that, Elizabeth that they would have a child. Gabriel, being in their age and their situation, doubted God. Basically thought, how are we in the age that we are in and what our life has been up to this point? How, God, could you give us life where there is no life? And so Gabriel said in Luke chapter 1, verse 18, or following Luke chapter 1, verse 18, said that Gabriel would, that Zechariah would be mute, that he would be silent because of his doubt. Now, the difference, I believe, between Zechariah questioning Gabriel and Mary also questioning Gabriel, as we discussed last week, is that God knew what was in their heart. God knew the difference between the two hearts. And I would also add and suggest that Mary was also not from a priestly line. Zechariah was a priest, and there was likely more required from his response. And the consequence for his doubt that's found in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, would be silence. He would be silent until the child was born, until John the Baptist was born. His father, for nine months or so, would be silent. The dad would be without words. 
And all the moms are thinking that may not be too bad. But don't you know this was, was really something else for expectant parents? Can you imagine, for those of you that are parents, can you imagine that one of you was silent for nine months leading up to the child's delivery, the child's birth? Like they are in their dwelling and Elizabeth looks over at Zechariah and says, hey, what do you think about the crib over here in the corner? And he's like, Right? Nothing to say. And she, you know, they're real people just like we were. Now they were righteous, the scripture says. And, but, but it goes on. I, I begin to think, I'm thinking like, as he's like, I, you know, I can't talk as he's making motions. And she's like, well, if somebody wouldn't have doubted the Lord, we could discuss these things. <laughs> and this is going back and forth. But he is, he is silent leading up to the birth of his child. Well, once John the Baptist was born, and Zechariah confirmed his name. His first utterance was the praises of God. The very first thing we see when he gets his voice back, after, after the name of John is proclaimed, he begins to praise God in song. Silence gives us the opportunity to think. And when we have time to think, God allows our without to retain and to retrain and to re redirect our with. Let me say that once again. Silence is what God allows to redirect and retrain our without to our with. I remember uh, a, a few years ago, I had vocal cord surgery and, and was silent just for a, a short time. But before that, I, I remember it kind of cracking and breaking and it kept doing that. And every time I would raise it, it would, it would sound like me years ago as a kid. And, and the most frustrating thing about all of that is when we were in church and everybody was singing songs like we just sang, I could not raise my voice. I could not lift my voice to the Lord in song. And so it was during that time of being without that God retrained and redirected my with because now when you get it back, you want to lift your voice to the King of Kings, the God who saved you. And John the Baptist regains his voice, or excuse me, Zechariah regains his voice and sings a song of praise. You know, I've not forgotten what the Lord put on my heart for our church during the dark days of the pandemic. I remember I've told you this several times, if God gives it all back, what will we do with it? You see, for a moment we were without, we were without the fellowship, we were without the Bible studies of being together. We had the online and we were so thankful for those capabilities. But for a time, we were without what God had given us to minister to his people. And all my heart was, if God gives it all back, what will we do with it? If God gives the gathering back, if God gives the opportunity for fellowship back, if God gives the opportunity for Bible study back to us, if he gives us back worship and mission and service, what will we do? You see, the, the time that the Lord allowed us to be without retrained our with. Let me ask you today personally, as you consider the years before and where your family is now, do you have a full appreciation of the ministry of God or do we still take it for granted? With all the time of quiet that Zechariah had to ponder over himself and his doubt and his faith and what was coming, Zechariah then had a new baby boy and he had his voice back, and his words were not doubt, frustration, and anger. His words were praise. 
And all of this really sets up like a musical. I don't know how many of you like musicals and Christmas musicals come on, but if you see the scripture in verse 66, it says everyone who was there after the birth of John the Baptist, and he was named in verse 66 because he was a special child ordained of God to be the forerunner of Jesus. The Bible says everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? And like this musical in my head, which is weird, the people gather together, they ask the question of what will this child gather to be? And then the priest who prophesies turns to them and says, I'll tell you who. And then the music starts and he starts singing, what child is this? But that's really what's happening in the scripture. They ask a question, this song is the response to what is happening. And as you see there in Luke chapter one, Zechariah praised God for his plan and he acknowledged the people within those plans. If you are in the will of God, if you have called on the Lord for salvation, you are a child of God, a friend of God, you are to serve our God. You are to be a part of the will and way of God with your life or your life does not belong to yourself. Your salvation was not earned by you, it was given to you. Therefore, if you are in the will of God, you are to serve our God and be a part of history that leads to glory to God. You see, God has plans. Verse 68 the Bible says, praise the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and redeemed his people. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David. God has plans. The song that he sings is one of praise for deliverance from Israel, from their enemies. But it was much bigger than just a deliverance from the rescue from foreign oppression. It was and is God's plan to deliver us from the bondage of sin. It is God's plan to deliver us from our greatest enemy, which is ourselves and our sin and our nature to sin. Throughout the scriptures, y'all, we're going to study the Bible today and get a good foundation for what, what is now and what was always coming. People sin, people face consequences for those sin, and God redeems. People sin, they face the consequences for those sins, and God redeems. The arrival of Christ was the beginning of the fulfillment of God's plan to buy back, to purchase back humanity from the enslavement of sin that began in the garden. In and of ourselves, left to ourselves, sin has us. We are detained by selfishness and rebellion. And Romans 6 uses the illustration of slavery to help us understand the condition of our human nature of sin. And it says in chapter 6, verse 23, Paul said, there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. The power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. You know the wage of that war. Everyone in here understands that struggle that Paul mentions that there is a desire to serve God greatly, to be right with God greatly, but there's also something working within us against that desire to do what God would call us to do. You see, we are not free in and of ourselves to live for our creator. We are not free in and of ourselves to fulfill our God-given purpose. We are not free from shame and from guilt, not free to walk freely without tripping. We are not free from the penalty of power of sin because we are bent towards sin. We have an inherited nature to be selfish. But Jesus said in Luke chapter four, verse 18, the spirit of the Lord has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released. That there is freedom from that prison that is yourself and your sin. I'm sure we have all seen reality 
renovation shows, reality TV shows that flip houses where hosts and a team of skilled workers will flip an old broken home, an old rundown home into a new and restored home. You see, on some of those shows, the houses that are terribly run down with no future ahead of them, just left there to die and crumble, they still, while they sit there, they are not free to anybody that would take them. Have you noticed that? They're not free for anybody to come up and say, well, nobody's using that home. It's abandoned. I just think I'll have it. That's not how it works. You see, in order for them to be renovated, they must be redeemed. Someone must purchase that home. That home must be set free from the previous owner who did not care by paying a price because they belong to another owner. When a new family buys the property, it no longer belongs to a careless, inconsiderate owner. It belongs to new ownership and therefore receives new life. Now, here's the applied truth. In and of ourselves, left to ourselves, we are an old, run-down home. Yes, it's livable, but we have no future because sin detains us. Sin owns us. Selfishness has us. But God sent Jesus to pay the price for our purchase. And because now that we belong to him, when we believe in him, we have new ownership and we will be renovated to fulfill the purpose that God has for our lives. Zechariah said the God of Israel sent a mighty Savior He said, the God of Israel sent one from the royal line of his servant David. Mighty Savior, a royal king. What the world needed in the past is what the world is in need of today. A king and a savior. A king and a savior. We think to ourselves as we read through the headlines of all the things that we see on the news. If our king were present, he would put a stop to all of this division. The king of kings would would rule and he would put a stop to all of the division and he would bring it back together. All of the depravity would come down as he ruled with an iron fist. All of these things, the kingship of Jesus. He is our king of kings. He is our Lord of lords. And all of that is absolutely true. But while Jesus is to be king over the headlines of all of the happenings, listen, he is very much also to be the king of the headlines of all of our hearts. So what does that mean? Our king speaks truth, and he rules over alternative lifestyles. Our king speaks truth, and he rules over abuses of power. Our king speaks truth over corruption. He speaks, and he rules over oppression, but his spirit also turns to the headlines of every individual heart of those who believe, and he rules over our own pride. He rules over our own greed. He rules over our own lust and rules over our own doubt. Yes, the greatest need for all of us, the greatest need for all the world then and now is for one to redeem us and one to reign over us. Enter Jesus. This is why Zechariah praised the Lord and why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 25, relative to his own understanding of his sin, Thank God. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord, a Savior and a King. God has plans. Now listen, God purposes people within those plans. Within the song of praise, there's a mention of three people. There's a mention of Abraham, David, 
and he mentions his son, John the Baptist. Now let's study the Bible for a minute. Amen. I mean, like, just don't come into church and check a box. Let's actually be here on purpose and learn what we believe so that we will own what we believe so that we can share what we believe to somebody else. You can't go and tell it on the mountain until you understand what you're going to go tell them. Are you with me? So as we study the scripture today, let's help us all understand and see how it fits together. Verse chapter 72, or chapter one, verses 72 and 73. He has been merciful to our ancestors by remembering his sacred covenant, the covenant he swore with an oath to our ancestor Abraham. You see, early in the scriptures, the wickedness of the world was met with the consequence of the great flood. And then after a time when the people grew back together, the pride of the world then entered into their life, which warranted another consequence as God scattered their language and scattered the nations after the Tower of Babel. People sin. People face consequences, God redeems. After God's judgment through the flood and after the scattering of the people groups after the Tower of Babel, God still didn't give up on his people, amen? God still persisted with his mercy and his grace towards an ultimate plan of buying humanity back, an ultimate plan of redemption. But God foreknew that people would need a savior that they would need a king in order for them to have a right relationship with God. We would need both the forgiveness of God and the lordship of God. And out of this, he would choose a people for himself, Israel, and the patriarch of that people would be Abraham. Abraham being the patriarch of Israel is how God ushered in the line of David all the way to the culmination of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God promised Israel that they would be this source of blessing where they would introduce salvation to the world. Abraham is important. Listen to why he's important. Abraham was important because he received God's covenant promises by faith, by trusting in God and trusting what God had said, thus establishing before all of us a right relationship with God is by faith. The Bible says that Genesis 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God and God counted him righteous. Abraham was believing forward unto the Messiah. Abraham was believing the promise of what God said was to come. We are believing the promise of what has already been. We are counted righteous when we believe what God says he has done through Jesus Christ. A couple of thousand years after he arrived on earth. In Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says the good news tells us how to make, how God makes us right in his sight. Listen to this. The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Is there anyone in here today that needs to leave thinking they are wrong and leave knowing you are right? If this is in your heart and mind, know this today. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. By faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in the King of Kings, the, the Lord of Lords. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life a confiding trust away from yourself that God's plan of redemption is not you working your way to heaven and not you being your best and not you thinking that everybody goes just because we're here and we should. But it is you turning from your sin and turning to God by believing, by trusting that Jesus has come and lived to show you how to live. He's died a sacrificial death in your place and he's risen in all the power of God over the grave to give us hope of eternal life. Do you believe that? 
That is the object of our faith, is that Jesus has done all the redemption work of God. And this began through God's desire to bless the world through Abraham and Israel. Verses 69 and 70. He has sent us a mighty savior from the royal line of his servant, David, just as he promised through his holy prophets long ago. In the Old Testament, as the people of God made their way to the promised land, listen to this, the presence of God was literally with them. In the tabernacle, the presence of God would go with them. The presence of God is what makes the people of God different. The presence of God in us is what makes us different before the world and how we act and how we react. It's the presence of God within us. But while God was with his people and he provided leadership through servants like Moses and Joshua and the judges, the people of God called for a king because they wanted to be like every other nation. The people of God called for human leadership to guide them instead of God himself. God gave them what they asked for. I'm going to tell you, the times of my life when God has tossed me the keys to let me drive it has been the times when I drove it right into the ditch. Be careful what we ask for. Human leadership instead of divine presence. And because of that human leadership instead of divine presence, they often found themselves at the consequences of their kings. David, however, David was an ideal king. As he was the Lord's anointed, the Bible says, he was chosen specifically of God and he would be a king by whom God would relate to his people. Now listen, if you know the Bible, you know that David was not perfect. David, like us, was limited by human nature. But David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. And once David had the power and the position of king, it was then that he would invite the presence of God back into the temple now, he didn't get to build it. His son did. But it was out of his desire to have God's presence back with his people so that the presence of God would reign over his people. And out of this, God purposed and promised through the prophets to bring King Jesus into the world through the line of David, the king of kings. And the way to write an eternal relationship with God came through the line of Abraham and through the line of David. Jeremiah 23, 5 says, For the time is coming says the Lord, when I raise up a righteous descendant for King David's line, and he will be a king who rules with wisdom, he will do what is just and right throughout the land. Do you know why we still don't follow the decrees of David today? Because he's dead. Because he died. Do you know why the, in, the, in the scriptures, in the book of Judges, the people would be on a roller coaster ride up in obedience and down in disobedience? Because when the judge died, the people went down with them. See, our king of kings defeated death. This is the reason why our allegiance and loyalty, our standard, and all of those things never come down because we are serving a risen Savior who sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. We serve not a dead man. We serve a living God. And that's why the word of God still stands as it stands today for us to abide by, for he is our living Savior and our King. Now, verses 76 and 77. And you, my little son, as he turns his praise to God, to the attention of the son that is born to him, John the Baptist, he says, you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord and you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of sins. Truly, 
in Scripture. John the Baptist was a unique figure because of the way that he was born divinely and because of his devotion to God while he lived. A unique figure in the Scripture. The Bible says that the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. John the Baptist was filled with the Spirit of God. He performed ministry. Some of the ministry that you perform, all of that was performed by John the Baptist in the beginning. He performed a ministry of repentance. Repentance is to turn from yourself and turn to God. Turn in the way that you are going and turn back to God. He had a ministry of restoration, of bringing relationships back together that are broken under the authority of God. He had a ministry of, of preparation that the king is coming. And now the ministry of preparation is the king is coming back. And so John the Baptist is preparing the way for King Jesus to come into the world. Now listen, crowds followed John the Baptist. He had a following. There were a lot of people that would go and they would listen to him. But John the Baptist took no glory for it as he served. I want you to hear that word again. He served God and announced the good news of the arrival of the Son of God sent to save the world from his sin. John said in chapter 3, verse 11, someone is coming soon who is greater that was the message of John the Baptist. Someone is coming soon who is greater, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or to carry his sandals. Now, listen to this as we connect it and we shut it down. If Abraham set the precedent of faith in believing for a savior and David set the stage for our need to submit to a righteous king, John the Baptist sets the example for our right responsibility to serve that king and savior. He was a servant unto the Lord. Jesus would later speak well of John the Baptist like he spoke of no one else. Why would Jesus speak that way of him? Because John gave his life to faithfully serve the Savior. He gave his life to faithfully serve his king. Verse 74 says, we have been rescued from our enemies. So we can serve God. We have been rescued from our sin. We have been rescued from our separation. Jesus has bought us back for what purpose? So that we can serve God without fear, in holiness and righteousness. Don't miss this part. For as long as we live. For as long as we live. Y'all, when we get saved, the end of sins, enslavement, and spiritual opposition does not mean the end of the book. There are times when we get saved or when our children get saved and we think, got it done. Now we're just going to coast or see our way through the best we know how until we get to heaven. See, we're used to that. If you watch movies, rescue movies, or read books of rescue, it ends when they are saved. Chapter closed, book closed, credits roll, movie over. That's not how it is when we are rescued from our spiritual oppression. That is not how it is when we are rescued from the penalty of our sin. In 1907, Jesus Garcia was a 23-year-old brakeman with a railroad company. He was resting during a stop in a town of Mexico when he was notified that a train had caught fire. A train that was not only on fire, but a train that was carrying 70 boxes of dynamite. And that train was moving in the direction of a train yard full of people. And rather than taking cover and saving his own life, Jesus Garcia went aboard and he threw the train into reverse to move the locomotive as far away from the people as he could before it exploded. Now, sadly, a small number died, including Garcia. 
History says there was nothing left of him but only one boot. But because of his heroics, while some died, a very, very large people, a large number of people were saved. Now, when we read that, we think, oh, that's inspiring. Report over, right? End of the book, close it up, credits roll. A great story of rescue. We receive it as truth, and now we move on with our lives. But that's not the end. It's not the end because history reports that Garcia was not forgotten. He was remembered. People wrote songs about him. People would give money for memorials that would reverence him. People continued to tell his story. The town changed its name to honor him. The rescue was not the end of the book. It was the beginning of a new chapter. It's the beginning of something new in your life, a new chapter of service to the rescuer. Do not be deceived to thank students, children in here, grown folks, old folks, however category you fit in. Do not be deceived to think when you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, the rest of your time is yours until you go to heaven. Do not be deceived to think that you've gotten salvation and you can just coast all the way in and answer the question of what you want to do with your life. Zechariah's fresh perspective of blessing and his rescue led him who was already a priest to the conclusion that a life fulfilled would be a life dedicated to the service of his rescuer. As one man said, how much larger your life would be if you could become smaller in it. Zechariah had just had a new baby boy. And listen, while that child was loved, while he loved his child, that child too was part of God's purposeful plan. Y'all, I love my family. I love my family. I pray for my family. But my family did not die for me. So we must serve God to appropriately serve our family. I love this church. I do. I love this church. I pray for you. I pray for this church, but you did not die for me and I did not die for you. Therefore, in order for us to serve each other appropriately, we must serve God first who has called him to ourselves and then serve each other appropriately. I love the community that I live in. I love the county. I love the city. I love the surrounding areas. I love where we are. And I pray for our community. I really do. I pray that our family would be a light in the community. I pray for our community, but guess what? As we think about how we serve in the community, our community did not die for us. So the amount of time that we give to the community, the amount of dedication that we give to the church, the amount of heart effort that we give to our family, none of those things and none of those people paid the price for our sin to rescue us and to save us and to reign over us as King of kings and Lord of lords. If we want to put time in, then time in that counts. We will serve God who gave his very son and the life of his son to live, die, and raise again for the hope of our eternal life. If we are going to do anything with our life before it's over, let us serve the Lord. For the rest of our life, let us serve the Lord. What does that look like for you? As you're thinking about the turn of the year and what you want to do next year, how are you not going to serve your community? How are you not going to serve your family and not going to serve your church? How are you going to serve your king? How are you going to serve 
your Lord and your Savior. And it's out of that heart devotion for the one who gave you life and then gave you eternal life that we should then begin to turn our lives' attention to our family, our church, and our community so that we can appropriately serve them for a glory that is greater than just someone patting us on the back, but for the glory of God Almighty, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, and for a lifetime, let this church serve the Lord. Amen and amen. If today you have considered that it all makes sense in your heart and mind for the first time, that God has been working this entire time towards your redemption, towards the forgiveness of your sins and your eternal life. If you've been thinking this entire time that the reason why you exist is to do your best and have a good life, but when you read the scripture, you understand that we were created to exist for his glory. If you understand in your heart and mind today that what you hope that you have, you don't have, and you want to be saved, it's as simple as calling upon the name of the Lord. It's as serious as turning from yourself and turning to God in obedience and acknowledging that Jesus is the way to eternal life. Lord, we thank you, O oh God, for what you have done for us because we could never do that for ourselves. And God, as we take our attention now, as we turn it to what you are doing in our heart and life, God, I ask and I pray that this begins with me. Wherever we are weak, show us, Lord, so that we may be strong. Father, if there be one or many here today that needs to call upon your name for forgiveness, Lord, that needs to be saved, God, if there be one or many, I pray even right now that they would call upon your name. They, in faith and with a desire to turn from sin, would call upon you, Jesus, as God, to forgive them of their sins and, Lord, to cleanse them from all unrighteousness so that they may be fit for heaven. Lord, lead us. Lead us in this response, Father, if we need to sing a hymn of praise and that be our response. Lord, if we need to confess our sins, call on you to save us. Lord, if we need to serve. God, if we've been selfish for too long, taking up our life as our own, and we need to serve you from now and for a lifetime. I pray, God, that you would work that up in our heart and that within our responsibility, we'd put it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This altar is open for you that any would like to come to pray today. We've got pastors here for you. If you stand to your feet and let's sing together. If you'd like to join this church today, come on and join this church. We'll receive you right down here in the front. If you want to talk to a pastor about how to be saved, maybe you want to pass right on by us and pray. If you want to wait to the end of the service and catch one of us out in the hall, that's fine. But don't wait. Don't wait. Just before we sing, and there's a, there's a section that's real close to this stage. There was a faithful woman of God in this church that sat here every Sunday and she passed away. Passed away right before Christmas. Family's grieving. But here's what I know as her funeral is coming up and her group leader, her connect group leader will do her funeral because of the relationship established there. What we all know of her is that to be absent from the body in her case is to be present with the Lord is that she will bust heaven wide open, not because she was a good and faithful lady to the church, but because she has received God's way of making her right with him through faith. She has believed upon her Savior, and her King reigns over her. Amen? Let's sing, respond together. <laughs>